are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont College. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont College. Today, I'm speaking with Chuck Brown, co-creator and co-writer of the Eisner Award and Ringo Award-winning Image Comics series Bitter Root, and creator of Image Comics series On the Stump. He has been self-publishing comics for over 18 years, and as well as writing for Image Comics, he has written comics for Dark Horse, uh, Zenoscope Entertainment, and more. Today, we're going to talk about his work alongside Lillian Smith's speech, Role of the Poet in a World of Demagogues. Thank you for joining me, Chuck. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing good. I mean, uh, the storm just came through here, and we got some of it. Not sure if y'all got any of it, but we're doing good. Apart from that, has some stuff down. Just a ton of rain and a lot of wind for us, but um, thanks for inviting me onto the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. I've been I've been reading your stuff, and I'm glad you could make it. And you're gonna be we're just going to mention now. You're going to be involved with actually the Lillian Smith Symposium in March. So looking forward to that. And oh yes. Thing with everybody else, it's going to be awesome. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So let's just get going. I mean, some of our listeners may not know much about comics or may not read comics, and you're involved with the, like I said, multi-award-winning comic series Bitter Root, and just started on the stump. So if you were going to talk to somebody about Bitter Root or about on the stump, you know, for those that aren't familiar with it. Can you give us an elevator pitch of kind of both of them briefly? Well, uh, Bitterroot is basically a world of monsters that are born from um, hate. And the Sangiri family are one of many monster hunters, but they have a special talent for basically curing these monsters that are um, inflicted with hate. And um, our family is um, faced with a new kind of monster, which is people that are turned to creatures that are victims of hate. And the family is always torn between basically, you know, should they cure these these creatures or should they be basically amputating them, which in quote unquote means killing these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, basically uh, a, monster, a family of monster hunters during the Harlem Renaissance that hunt and cure these creatures based in hate. And of course, sitting around the Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre, the Harlem Renaissance, a bunch of different historical events and very much, I would say, connected with Lillian Smith, at least in my reading, because the manifestation of racism and hate and prejudice is in these monsters. What about On the Stump? What would you tell us about that? On the Stump is basically a world, you know, parallel to ours or similar to ours, where politicians don't debate on the stump. They fight in these bloody, violent matches in arenas called stumps, and that's how they decide policy. So it's basically a reflection on our real world and politics and social injustices and issues of the world. Action packed, but also a lot of context about, you know, political and social issues in um, our world today. Yeah, very action packed. I was rereading it this morning and, and Frenzy's artwork always gets me. I mean, it's oh, yeah. over the top, but it's really, you know, it's really visceral. And the, the images, the opening image of that comic is what got me kind of the first time too. When you see these two men, you see a black senator and a white senator fighting on the stump and in the background is the Washington Monument. Right. Which reminds me of a lot of African-American literature. I always think back to um, 18th century literature where they're talking, where Frederick Douglass, Solomon Northrup, and others are talking about the Capitol, and they're talking about George Washington, they're talking about Washington, D.C. 
and what goes on there, both politically and the laws that are being made. And with Northrop specifically, you know, under the guise of the Capitol being held in the slave pen and then sold down, sold down to Louisiana. So that image to me is, is very kind of powerful in, in multiple levels. And you've been working in comics, like you said, for almost two decades. Right. And then, and then that speech that Smith, that we talk about the role of the poet in the, world, in the world of demagogues, she argues that only the poet can feel the courage beyond fear. Only he can grasp the splinters and bend them into a new wholeness that does not yet exist. And right. comic artists and writers do this as well. You know, directors, writers, so many people, poet is all encompassing. So my question is, what role do you see comics playing in helping us deal with, and these are her words right here, the problems that won't leave us alone? Right. Honestly, I kind of see comics as a way to enlighten people because that's kind of what it's done you know, for me over the years, kind of opened my eyes to new forms of expressing myself and dealing with the issues in my own personal life. And, you know, what affects me in this world, you know, I kind of put it into my work to hopefully that other people can also see that and kind of see the message I'm trying to, to send without beating them over the head with it, you know. Reading her work, you know, and I tried to have some kind of, you know, a glimmer of um, positivity or hope in my, in my work, but honestly, I just think, I just kind of, I think the raw truth in comics are just as important as, you know, having that glimmer of hope, you know, just that raw truth to open people's eyes, you know. And again, that's kind of why Understump is so intentionally, you know, raw and violent and bloody and profane. It's to kind of shock people into kind of seeing, you know, this world may be insane, but hopefully kind of look around and be like, you know what, our reality is just as insane as this. It's just not people beating the hell out of each other, you know, but... That's an interesting thing that you just mentioned because I'm, I was trying to think while you were talking. You mentioned that you, that you hope that there's some hope in your in your writing. And I think about Bitter Root and I think there's hope there. Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm like, is there hope in that first five issues? I'm thinking about it. But when I was rereading On the Stump, what really caught me this time is the ways that it's not the politicians who are making the decisions, really, even though they're fighting it out. It's the people who are paying the politicians, the lobbyists in the power. Right. Which, and it's also the passive, you know, the passiveness of, you know, the voter and, and American and right. the people and standing by, you know, cheering on these people and not really looking around at what actually being ha- what's happening to you, you know, like, you know, the, the distractions in a sense, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what that's what Lillian Smith talks about, too. And I actually pulled this quote today, not for a talk, but I used mm-hmm. it somewhere and it sums it up you know, not paying attention. This is from Killers of the Dream, the reissue in 1961. But she says, after the Civil War, when things were in chaos and misery was everywhere and people were without food and learning and shelter and medicine, our politicians picked up the symbol of white supremacy and made it a flag and a doctrine and a passion by which to unify poor white and rich white in a mutual hostility against the Negro. And she talks about the rich white and poor white. And she talks about how the poor whites don't think about how this is affecting them. Right. 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 Which, which you mentioned too. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that with almost top. Yeah, right. I mean, you that, don't want to think, you don't want to say people hiding behind patriotism, you know, the lucky to the poor whites, but sometimes actually believe they are being patriots. They are believe they do believe they're fighting the system by saying, you know, black, that not necessarily black lives, don't matter, but saying all lives matter. There doesn't need to be that hashtag. There doesn't need to be that awareness 
where they kind of following, you know, the 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 Trumps and of, of the world and and not really paying attention to what's behind all the nonsense that's spotted, you know, make America great again, build a wall, America first, you know, America first and make America great again aren't bad things to say, but it's that dog whistle behind that. And, you know, and people are hearing that stuff. And like you said, after doing reconstruction, you know, the politicians, like you said, turned, you know, black males into this symbol of, um, you know, hate that's going to attack the white women and kind of really set, you know, the black community, 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 black community back decades, you know, because of, because of all that race baiting, you know, and, and the manipulating, like you said, the poor whites for their own purpose, so they can stay in power, so they can keep their, their pockets full. Right. And they don't care who they hurt, who they who dies, and who gets killed. They don't care. Which is exactly what Lil talks about too. Yeah, she she talks about that idea of white Southern womanhood. And of course, she got that birth, she got birth of a nation, which solidifies it. I mean, even before that, we know too, of the black male hypersexualized who's going to rape our white women, right? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. she breaks down, and she says, you know, but what about all the past that that the white man ran to the back of the quarters while he put this woman on the white woman on the pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. And she's really in tune with all, and that, yeah. I mean, there's nothing else I can say to that. Historically, that's what happened. And what you're talking this about, article, as you're writing, this article was written when, when the 60s or 70s. This article. So Lillian Smith wrote about that in 49. 49. Yeah. So the so the article "Role of the Poet in the World of Demagogues" is 65, I think. It was actually a Jewish American award. And I forgot. I forgot the group. It was the Queen Esther Scroll. It was a, it was a women's Jewish group who, who gave mm-hmm. it to her. She was the first recipient. But I, I think about on the stump too when I think about the blacksmiths, which are the group that the main characters go and fight with. And they're actually a group of African-Americans who the enslaved, when they were enslaved in 1863, built, of course, the, what would you call it? The base, I mean, not the yeah. base, but built the base underneath the Capitol, right. which is itself symbolic. But right. the whole discussion with the blacksmiths and history and teaching history. And there, there was one panel in here too that I noticed. I don't remember who said this. I don't remember the woman. It's Nicholas's aunt. He says, Abe, and this is, I guess her husband was Abe, his uncle. Abe never cared much for fiction. When he uh, was little, he didn't need a fantasy world for fun. For him, it was history, real history, not the BS they barely teach in school. And Abe dies trying to uncover all the things right, and read history right. and learn stuff that's not in school, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I knew about the Tulsa massacre, didn't know the extent. Mm-hmm. I knew about the histories were not taught in school. Smith doesn't get into the specifics, but I think about the Bossier Massacre, which 120 black men, women, and children or more were killed in Bossier Paris, where I grew up in 1868, to quell the vote and also to keep them from voting for the 1868 Louisiana Constitution, which was very progressive. I had no clue about it until two or three years ago when I was afraid of a Frank Derby novel. And he mentioned this this is my first time. I never heard about about that either, honestly. You know, I never heard about that either. I mean, in, I mean, count, I mean, growing up, I've, I kind of always knew about, you know, Tulsa Massacre, and we called it Black Wall Street, you know, in my twenties yeah. and thirties. You know, I kind of just from hearing people talk about it in in circles. But um, at cons, you know, so many people came up to me and said and said they had never heard of the Tulsa Massacre and they've never heard of Red Summer before. Mm-hmm. So um, it's all about you know going out and seeking out the truth and looking, reading between the lines and reading between the cracks. And 
that's kind of what kind of Abe Abe kind of represents, you know, what, you know, all of those Trinity fans should be aspiring to, you know, he was, he just kind of cared about the truth and he, he cherished the past, the humanities, but, you know, also he lived in our, in the present as well. So, and again, you know, you know, um, STEM is important, absolutely. But also, you know, I'm, I'm sure, pretty sure you know this, humanities, you know, they don't really get the, uh, I guess, the respect that they deserve, deserve, I guess, or the funding that they deserve, that how important it is to, you know, to know our past and know where we came from. So we don't, you know. That repeat. leads me, in, the, in, these, in these books, both of them, there are scientific experiments. You know, On the Stump has the mutant fighters. And then mm-hmm. Ritter Root, of course, Walter, Dr. Walter Sylvester, who, um, is it Eliza Nightshade? Mm-hmm. Turns into Ardo. And in Smith's speech, she, she, there's something that she mentioned that kind of stuck out to me when I was thinking about these. At the end of her speech, Smith says, for the big, dangerous problems confronting the world today are not those the scientists can handle. Mm. She says, these dilemmas come from our deepest roots, from the shadowy, unconscious part of our nature. And Smith's words make me think about Dr. Walter Sylvester using science early on to combat the anger and pain he has after his family is murdered in the Tulsa Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the technology to solve some of the problems facing humanity, but we need more than just the technology. We need more than that STEM. So in Bitter Root or in On the Stump, you know, how do we see that those humanities, even if they're not labeled as humanities, influencing those discussions? I mean, the Sangaree family, I definitely see it. It's root work, too. Right, right. It's root work, and, they, and they're trying to, you know, I guess they are, they are using, you know, herbology to try to combat that stuff, but I guess as the book progresses, it's like they're they're trying to grow as humanity is trying to grow. The Sangaris are realizing that you know the serum can't cure everything. They can't cure this a new kind of creature, you know, possessed of hate. They can they can put a dent in it, but they can't cure it. And Dr. Sylvester is now learning, and there are no spoilers, but now learning that you know his experiments can't keep that hate and pain at bay. Because when he, you know, he loses someone, he kind of goes to the next level. So as our story is progressing and as me and David are writing the third arc, the reality is there is no cure for hate. It's, it has to come from with you, the cure is within you. And even, I mean, to her quote, I mean, you know, listening to you repeat her quote just now, it kind of just, a light bulb just came one in my head to so like the coronavirus. I mean, there's, I mean, eventually I hope there'll be a vaccine. You think about it in America, I don't know if I can curse on your podcast or not, but if you just stay at home, you know, and wear a mask, you know, it could we can at least, you know, save some lives and try to get this thing under control. You know what I'm saying? So like she said, yes, science has its role, but it's going to have to come within us, you know, saying, hey, we don't have to go to the damn movies. We don't have to go out to eat. We don't have to go out and, and hang out with people. We can sit at home, let this virus take its course, and so while they figure out, while science figure out what, what the problem is, that's us making it worse. And if, and if us listening to politicians and people telling us that it's not a big deal, then it's okay and it's a hoax. You know, you got to think critically. So and I, think, I think that's what the humanities do. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. And, and, and honestly, I mean, up until like five, six years ago, I never really realized how important humanities was. You know, I mean, I've always loved history and everything, but I never realized how important it is to society as a whole for us to even continue 
on this earth. People have to understand how important that stuff is. And I but, think that 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 quote with me exactly what you said. I, I think about in order for this technology and this science to work, you have to have some kind of empathy to go along with it, and some kind of human perspective to go along. Yeah. With it. Yes. Yes. Because I think about, and we don't have to talk about this. This, this would get us down a rabbit hole. But I think about supervillains and and you know mm-hmm. comics, and think about the Fantastic Four and those differences, or even Black Panther and T'Challa, mm-hmm. the ways technology works in comics, which leads us to to kind of this other question. I'll, I'll keep it with bitter root. So. One scene that really gutted me, you know how much I connected with Johnny Ray, right. uh, Knox and Bitterroot, for various right. reasons, of course, you know. Right. So, right. But she reminded me of Lillian, I mean, he reminded me of Lillian Smith. He's, he's, this, he's this white kid from Mississippi who was about to lynch a black, a black guy, basically, mm-hmm. and one of the sangarees comes in and kills all, all the monsters, but he doesn't turn into a monster, right? And right. Ford, who is the sangaree who basically says that we have to amputate him, says that your soul is not tainted yet, keep it that way. And then he, he joins up with them and does a lot of work. And then some of them kind of don't want him there, wonder why he's there. Berg mm-hmm. even says, I'm accept you right now, but you know, that could change. So he becomes kind of an ally. And then of course the scene that gutted me is when he when he's murdered. When Ardo, who was the manifestation of the personal hate, the feelings of hate, you know, the entity that feeds and grows on fear, hate, and pain, when she impales him is what really caught me. And Sanford Green's panels show Johnny Ray in silhouette falling off of the spike or whatever it is that she impales him with. Right. And, she, and this is what she says. She says, so much pain and fear in this soul with just a hint of, what is this emotion that I taste? Ah, yes, hope, delicious. Right. And then she he drops and balls. Right. Um, and in her speech and elsewhere, Smith talks about poets and artists focusing quote, on their own small depravity, depravities. And she has hope in a lot of her stuff, but she says this, the poets and artists focus on their own small depravity saying essentially, woe is me. And she says, yeah. quote, they treat hope as the one, the only four letter word you must never be caught using. So mm-hmm. my question is this, what is it about the death of hope? As in the case of Johnny Ray's murder or anything else, or the absence of hope? You know, as in Smith's comments, that is so scary or so repulsive to people. Or that's so, that makes people fearful. You mean the death in comments or? or... Well, it, it, either like Johnny Ray's death, you know, just, just what is it about hope that makes people scared? Or that uh, makes people repulsed? And even the I, idea of it. I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess, I mean, I guess as a quote unquote poet or writer, you know, um, I'm somewhat of a, um, you know, bleeding heart, I guess, you know, and some of us want to put much of ourselves on the page. And as I guess, poet or poets or artists or, or writers, a lot of us are in a state of woe and depression and sorrow. Yeah. And we are very empathetic to the world. And I guess we're writing to find, trying to find that gleam of hope in the world. But um, it's such a hard question to even answer, honestly, because I, because sometimes I unfortunately am guilty of that. You know, I do put a lot of dark stuff in, in our in our books and in, in my books. But in the case of Johnny Ray, the one thing I liked about him and the one thing I was okay with um, you know, him 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 passing or dying is that, you know, he's like that. I mean, you, you mentioned in your British article about the small kid, small baby in a Ku Klux Klan uniform. You know, he was he's like that baby, basically. And he was there. 
And he was going to, you know, let the man be lynched, but he's there with all his cousins and his, and his, and his you know, his, his neighbors and his, and, and his friends he grew up with, you know, and that's what he's around, right? But he's, but his heart isn't fully in it, right? And, and of course, whatever forces change you into a creature, they see that, right? And in a sense, you know, Ford saves his life before he goes too far. And we get to see this character journey, you know, as a clan member to a racist, to a reluctant, a curious ally, to a reluctant ally, to, you know, basically a part of the Singiri family, you know, and he's, and he's been on this, this long journey from where he's gone. And he's kind of, you know, he's done his work in this earth. And now it's time to let him go. Time to take him, you know, let him go home in a sense. Yeah, I love the I love the scene where, where he comes to Harlem and he he comes up he comes up to Mallet and is like, What can I do? Yeah. He's him walking behind her and he's like, What can I do? And he's like, We well, can go feed the people downstairs. And then she I think she turns to Blink or somebody and she's like, I like that boy. <laughs> <laughs> but you bringing up him and him not being tainted, I mean, I think that gets to so much of what Lillian Smith did too, is focus on children and he's not a child i would say i don't know how old he is i mean maybe a teenager um, yeah the focus on children the focus on getting these things disentangled before they take too much mm-hmm. because c- kind of kind of the way i think about it now is i think about these issues of racism and, and hate and xenophobia taking root within us and then the longer it takes us to confront them the more entangled they become and it becomes part of this Right. And that and that also works the other way, too, where, you know, the whole Black Heroes Matter movement, where not seeing yourself in comics and not seeing yourself as heroes, where that gets set in your mind so much, you don't see yourself as that person. And it also, you know, a medium that you love and care about doesn't represent you. It kind of stunts your growth as a person, in a sense, because I didn't personally, I didn't start writing really until I was in um, college. But I adored comics at a very young age, and I used to create characters and give them origin stories and, and, and abilities and villains and all this kind of stuff. But I never saw myself as a writer. I just never saw myself as one, you know. I, and I can't explain to you why. But it wasn't until I got to college, like in my you know early twenties, until I started really writing and wanted to break into the industry because I was surrounded by people that looked like me that were actually doing comics and wanted to do comics and, and inspired me to kind of get into the game myself. So yeah, and you know, again, like those early seeds, you know, those seeds of hate and those seeds of oppression and, and negativity, you know, it's all about, like you said, the, in the eyes of a child, you know, how they're being influenced today. It's the representation too. I mean, I always go to James, I think James Baldwin quote, and I think of France Fanon talking about Tarzan in Algeria too, but, James Baldwin has a quote basically that says, I go to the movies or, you know, we go to the movies talking about black citizens in Harlem and watch Gary Cooper on the screen fighting the Native Americans and rooting for Gary Cooper and not realizing that the Native Americans are us. Mm. And then, of course, Franz Fanon talks about children in in Algiers, you know, reading, I think he mentions reading comics, but reading Tarzan or watching Tarzan and identifying with Tarzan, right? The white character who's there to civilize or whatever. Mm. Um, we can go into a whole discussion about the comic stuff. Just thank God Milestone's coming back for one thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy about that. So, yeah, I got, I got one more question for you. This is a speech that we didn't read, I know, but thinking about rereading Bitterroot on the stump, I thought about this. So 
Lillian Smith has a speech called, Are We Still Buying a New World with Confederate Bills? She, she gave this speech, I think in 1960 or 61, to a group of SNCC members at, at Mount Moriah in, in Atlanta, if I remember correctly. But she writes this. She says, the devil knows that if you want to destroy a man, all you need to do is fill him with false hope and false fears. These will blind him to his true direction. He will inevitably turn away from the future and destroy those close to him. It is as true of a nation. Fill its people with false hope and false fears, and they will do the rest. They will go straight to their appointment with death, and they will drag all nations friendly to them down in the maelstrom of their moral and mental confusion. I was thinking about On the Stump, because On the Stump tackles politics and political rhetoric. Can you talk about that series some and kind of how it highlights the false hope and false fears? And even, like I mentioned with the blacksmith, misinformation in regard to education that we hear and see every day. Yeah, um, the false hope, and I guess on the stump is um, these these fans or these voters in the stands are um, cheering for these characters and and these men, and they have this hope and this faith in them as if they are going to save them. If if their fame and their admiration and their wealth, them being on the pedestal and on the stump is something that is going to make their lives better. And there's um, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of of fear in the book is basically about the blacksmiths and you know what they mean to the country and they're this mysterious organization and they're not to be trusted and they are they a myth are they real you know and it kind of keeps people on their toes and it's a, and a, and a big part of this is the distractions of the stump and all the different layers of it and, and again it's about looking within and not being worried about fear and the pain of the world around you and just kind of looking beyond that and just trying to empathize with your fellow man honestly and one of them even mentions that, right? He's basically one of the, I guess, business owners who's funding the politicians basically says we need ratings, right? A Thunderbear right. to say that. So yeah, how do we actually get people's eyes on here and keep them engaged and mm-hmm. basically keep them ignorant? Right, right. And then, and, then, and the thing is that, um, you know, the president of Knicks was like, you know, we need to get these ratings. Right. Thunderbear was, Thunderbear was, a, was, a, was a, is a, definitely a villain but he's still a villain with the cold. He still kind of cared about something. Even though what he cared about was a little twisted, yeah. he still kind of cared about something. So there's so many different layers, you know? So there's, there. I mean, there, I, I believe there are politicians that truly believe they are Christians and they are doing God's work. And, and you know, they are the party. They are the party of, um, what do you call it? Morality, is that what they call it? Or, you know, and they may truly believe that, but it may be a little twisted. In their in their beliefs, then the corporations they just want to you know they just want to make money and just want to exploit everybody, and they do believe in the almighty dollar. So it's all about you know everybody believing their own truths and then again, not empathizing with your fellow man and thinking about the greater good. We're all a little selfish. We're all definitely a little selfish and guilty of that, but there has to be some kind of balance in in your life. I think that that's a good thing to go out on. So I think that that's kind of the overarching theme. What we talked about is there has to be that hope and that empathy. And that caring for your fellow man, which is definitely what Lillian Smith talks about, which is definitely what's in Bitter Root. I mean, even in On the Stump, amidst all the violence, that's at the core, I would right. say, right. in a lot of ways. So I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I know. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. You too.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media or get in touch with us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about living at East Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu backslash les.